Welcome to Splunk Talk! <laughs> A Splunk podcast that is all Splunk and no junk. I am your host, Hal, and that is... I am Hal. <laughs> Wait, <it's> just... <laughs> you got me. You got me. I didn't even catch it, man. Morning, Birch. I'm Birch. Oh, he's Birch. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to being Birch. He's going to go back to being Hal. This is right, episode... 24 of season two, and soon we'll be joined by today's guests, Mickey Nair and Manon Grover, who will talk with us about the Sales Engineering Academy. But before we go any further, let's check in on how everyone's month has been. How- man, you are, you're winding it up. You, you I got, got it, man. All right. We got to right, start, start at a seven so we can hit a 10, but not stay there, but yeah, come back yeah. and stay at a seven. And we don't <laughs> want to play down below five. Okay. Okay. All right. I was going to say, like, what I'm, you know, I'm just kind of feeling three, three and a half, yeah. four. No, no, I'm bringing you up. I'm bringing okay. you all the way to uh, uh, an 11. We're going to turn that dial. I appreciate that. Good morning, Birch. It's Monday. We haven't recorded a new episode in a little while. We've been dropping some cool ones from comps, keep people going. Um, how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. We, uh, we did a ton of of churning through those episodes from Conf and, and two episodes we had done since. But I think this was our longest break between episodes. Um, and I'm uh, glad to get back at it. Um, as you mentioned, it's, it's a Monday. It's an AM recording. We often record with people on the West Coast. And so we're usually looking at uh, post-lunch recordings for you and me. What does AM stand for? Does anybody post-mortem. know? Post-mortem. I don't know. No, no, it's, it can't. I mean, I would think oh, I know. anti-meridian and post-meridian, but that doesn't sound right. Is that it? Um, it's, it's Peter Miles. It's the guy who mm-hmm. invented time. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. But what about AM? Uh, that was named after his wife, Anna Marie. Okay. All right. Yep. No, I mean, now we know. I mean, I'm, thanks for, for dropping that bit of uh, information. Because oh, yeah. I, I mean, totally I, believe anything you hear on the internet, including <laughs> podcasts. I've got some stocks tips for you, by the way. Oh great! We are <laughs> we are talking in the midst of uh, the individual investor uh, uprising and the GameStop shenanigans. Um, the other things going on right now. Or often enough to you know do the t- current events riff and have it be relevant. But yeah. I'm super fascinated by this whole sequence of events. Um, speaking of current events and like very subtle things, uh, my room is especially bright today because. In the Northeast, we are having a massive snowstorm that appears to look like it's going to go for like two and a half days of just oh, snow. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I'm wondering if we'll ever get any snow. That, um, we only get it like every other year, you know, and we have like a dusting uh, a little while ago. And I think I actually had a flurry this morning, but it's, it's just rain. Uh, <laughs> but before we get our guests here, I did want to address my room because what I do you mean? Your room looks great. It looks, it looks a totally different. the same. So... It's a mess behind me, but it's a, it's an ordered mess. It's actually really cool. Um, I'm in my maker room and I have, um, I've been building kind of 3D printing and, and painting. And like, this is a paint hood back here, um, but just showing one of the projects behind me. This is a um, Harry Potter family crest. There's Ooh. like, it's a Slytherin on the bottom there. And it was built out of four, actually five pieces on a 3D printer. Anyway, so. Oh, that looks good. I some really cool, you know, kind of design uh, and, and just fun stuff. And, but this is the room I moved 
my office upstairs. So if I have a window, that's kind of nice. And um, really, I thought you used a Mac. Yeah, I've got three. I do use a Mac. Um, but I have three. I just got another 3D printer yesterday. So I have three 3D printers all around me and oh. a bunch of uh, my favorite toys. So it's kind of a neat room to be in. You can have each 3D printer print just one of the dimensions. There we go. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> how that works. Um, anyway, so I just want to call it out because it's it's like a little bit, you know, I think I've got, uh, I could clean up a little bit. I mean, I could clean up a little bit. <laughs> no, and, no, you know, own it, I'm own it. I'm feeling self-conscious, so I'm, I'm just going to go like this and we'll just kind of, there we go. How's that? Is that a little better? I say, I say own it. I think during, there was a night that we, when we were doing one of the comp recordings that you had uh, come in uh, with Chick-fil-A. So you may have changed offices, but there's like a thread to stitch yeah. the two offices together. Um, that was like a very, uh, a very strange version of like MTV Cribs. Like, yo, yeah. this is my maker room. Let me take yeah. you around and we're going to just all stay in one spot. <laughs> I thought about picking the camera up and showing, you know, the, the round, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, so I, that's interesting about the 3D printer. Like when I uh, last dabbled in 3D printing, it was still early on. And yeah, all the textures back then were very like grainy. And it was sort mm -hmm. of like, it was like when CG first started in movies and it was yeah. like, oh, that's, that's cute, but I can tell yeah. it's not real. And based on what you've just shown, those two items, the, uh, the Slytherin and uh, the Groot, it just yeah. looks, it looks smooth. It, it... I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's 0.1 resolution of 0.1 millimeters of resolution. Did we talk about this before? I'm having like a serious deja vu moment. Oh, no, but weird. So, but you know, it's, it is, there's a lot of detail and it's got, you know, it, it can print 0.1 millimeters of resolution. So that's just kind of fine either in the, the Z yeah. dimension. Or and so for people on the, on the audio only feed, not the video, I don't know that there's anything visual about the 0.1 resolution. So you're good. You're good so far, I mean, it's, <laughs> but you're missing out on, on Hal's cool, uh, create creations. Did you, did you like download a file that said how to print those or like, did you, there's a huge, yeah, there's a huge community of, of stuff online. There are things that we're creating from scratch. Um, I'm no artist in that way, but, um, uh, and then there's things that we take and just kind of like, um, you know, modify and hack around with. That's so, cool. I'm getting so, into some some of the three D design as well. For the the, I noticed you have Slytherin. That's an interesting choice to start with. I feel like most people would start with Gryffindor, but did you already have the others, or do I see another no, I one next four. to it? Yeah, there. I've got all four. Gryffindor is, uh, you know, that that's the house I identify most with. But it was just out of camera. So here's <gasps> Gryffindor. Oh. Very cool. Yep. So, do you, do you paint them or anything after, or is it? Like is yeah, 3D what you printing saw, including color? Uh, yes and no. I mean, you, you can print in different colors or you can change your filament midstream. There's some advanced stuff lately where you can do multiple colors in one go. And uh, those are more expensive. I'm just uh, printing oh, in one such color. A, you're such a rebel. You change your filament midstream. <sighs> yep. No, you, you change, you print in one color. And then if you want to see, you know, depending on what your, your goals are, right? I mean, because somebody... You could, if you, you know, when you, um, uh, all the cosplay, you know, costumes that people do. Yeah. That if there's anything that's, you know, like armor, like a Mandalorian armor, or whatever, mm. that's all 3D printed. Okay. And then they're painting it 
and they might be using some epoxy to fill in stuff and it's yeah but that's all 3d printed and then they use a variety of painting techniques um to you know achieve like a metal look of metal or whatever yeah i um that's really interesting so their mandalorian armor is forged from a printer in their maker it is room. not real biscar yeah i'm afraid oh, it's not forged by a kick-ass woman uh down in the dungeons under no. intense heat not that that would be atypical. well i guess i guess there could be some cool swear yeah uh cool women folk out there who are actually uh yeah my maker room yeah one of my best way. friend's daughter is a welder <gasps> so and his ex-wife is actually she makes um props you know, here in the in the Atlanta movie uh scene oh very cool yeah uh speaking of props I had a friend growing up who um did his father was a director and mm -hmm. so we'd like we have these memories of like having a play date at his house and um we were playing around with all these like cool like weapons and stuff like very like uh Chinese um style weapons and they they kind of seemed like they weren't kids toys like but they weren't real yeah. yeah and it turned out it was the props to the movie crouching tiger hidden dragon oh neat yeah that's really cool yeah because his dad was the director of that yeah. uh speaking of beskar is it yes. beskar or beskar i think it's best i think it's spelled kind of like the indian name beskar okay like b-h-a-s-k-a-r i think um but in the first scene of the first episode of the first season, which the screenshot right now behind me is, is of, um, there's a specific alien you know, guy who says, dun, 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 Bascar. And, and like, I take the pronunciation from that guy. The, uh, the guy who has to shed, who has, molt, has to molt. And he it was that out. scene. It was yeah. that scene. Yeah. I, uh, I, I find in, in the show, there's so many things that like when I see it written online um I'm like oh yeah I never like I never thought it would be spelled like that yeah I feel like because maybe it's because it's a real it's a real kick in a while there. we yeah. were just gonna be talking for an hour and then realize that our guests have been waiting for you know a while is that the case they're not here yet well okay well then maybe we should at least get topical ish yeah, just well, kinda, let's, you know, you, you mean switch off the junk and get on the Splunk? Yeah, you know, a little bit. Yeah, Not too much. Um, so I, I think um, one of the most interesting things that I've been um, working at on my day job at Splunk lately is... Um, I love the way you say that every time, like, <laughs> my day job, like, my lady, like, my day job. So we talked about this a little bit, though. Um, the Kubernetes operator for Splunk. Yeah. Um, remember we had Patrick Ogden on from uh, at Com. Um, I've got multiple projects in there, but that's kind of the one that's kind of catching a lot of my interest lately. Um, I'm kind of interested to see what customers do with it. Is it available? It is packaging. It's open source. So yes, we are developing developing this in the open. Because I like I was sort of an early adopter of our Docker container. And mm -hmm. I've got all these scripts for mm -hmm. all these. I've got one script for how to like spin up a project. Um, and it's kind of nifty. What I do is I, I create a folder for it on a file system. Yeah, yeah. And in the, in the folder, I have an apps folder. And then whatever apps that I want, 
loaded into the container go in there. Um, and yeah. then that way I like run a command on uh, that kicks off this script that actually deletes any existing container for that mm -hmm. project and then creates a new one firmly in the belief that like this should all be ephemeral. But what it yeah. does is it mounts the file system of that apps folder into the Docker container. Mm -hmm. So any knowledge objects, any art, any settings that I do, I can right. be directly doing on my file system. I don't have to mm -hmm. um, terminal into the container. I don't have to worry about losing it. And I can yeah. trust that I can just destroy the container and restart it. I, I'm really working mm -hmm. in the apps world. Yeah, and, and that's something that we made, we, you know, we were following what Docker was doing, but you know, it was made possible. It's been a few years now, I guess. Um, and I think that the next, um, the next evolution of that was, and, and at the time, Splunk and, and the community, we were kind of following along with, with what, um, what, what are people going to do for orchestration of containers? You know, because first it was just Docker and then it was, okay, how am I going to manage all these containers? And you had a few different things. You know, I think Mesosphere was one. Um, I forget the others in that, um, I think Red Hat, like Atomic something, I'm, I'm forgetting some of these, but Kubernetes was one of the other ones. Speaking well, since of, that time, Kubernetes, you know, really shot up. Yeah. And that became I mean, even Docker was using something, something else before. They um, had their own uh, Speaking swarm. of uh, microservices, we have two more uh, ephemeral containers joining us. So we're going to oh, okay. add them in, see what I did there. I, yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, you know, just, just, we'll, we'll work on the transitions. You can't container your, your excitement. Well, I mean, guess. I wasn't ready to talk for 30 minutes about Kubernetes operator because I had forgotten when the guests were going to come on. So I was like getting my brain going straight down there. All oh, right. okay. I will, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I will, I will follow your transition. Well, with that transition, let's welcome our very special guests. Uh, all the way from, uh, let's see if I remember correctly. So uh, Nikki is coming to us from the greater Texas area, the Plano mm -hmm. area. And Manan is coming to us from the Virginia area around, around the DC. All right. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Good welcome, night. both of you. Welcome, welcome, guys. You are close. I'm actually in the San Antonio, Austin area now, but I don't blame you. I've had four moves in two years. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, Texas, I mean, it's, it's not like it's really a big state. I mean, you're, you can just kind of say it's Texas and you're, you're pretty close. Yeah, but Nikki, oh, yeah, exactly. Nikki, yeah. Nikki's uh, kind of laughing because she, like I saw her one day and I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? Like we're hanging out in the Plano office. And then like it, what feels like a week later in Splunk time, I'm hanging out with her in the San Francisco office and she's like, oh yeah, I live here now. And I'm like, oh, you moved here? And then like <laughs> the next time I see her, I'm like, how's San Francisco? She's like, I don't know. I left, I moved back home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this was all like pre-COVID, right? Oh yeah, pre-COVID. And then right before COVID, I came to the Austin, San Antonio area. And I think now everybody at Splunk seems to be moving to Austin. Yeah, so I clearly started a trend. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Nikki. And I know, right? <laughs> Well, uh, before, and we'll, we'll, I want to hear both of your, your, uh, origin stories that what I always want to call orange, origin, orange stories. Um, well, uh, you're in the Virginia area, but were you always in the Virginia area? I moved to the U S two years ago, but I originally grew up, um, in India, Delhi. 
So I moved to US um, and Virginia. I've always stayed in Virginia for the You're last two years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I brought, brought along a pretty background from the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. I love Virginia. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a pretty background from, uh, from Delhi. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I don't, I've never been to India, but that does not look like Delhi. I, I would have <laughs> called that one out. No mountains in Delhi, unfortunately. Um, so I know, I know in India. Say that again. Are there many mountains in India? Oh, yes. But no, only okay. a little, you know, only a little one called the Himalayas. I don't know if y'all have heard <laughs> the of it. You know? I have heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. You know what? I've heard of that. <laughs> I think every, every episode we, we learn a little more about how a, adorably unworldly Hal is. <laughs> and I say that like in the most affectionate way, like, uh, you know, oh, are there mountains? And it's like, yeah, India is one of the largest like countries on the earth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So switching gears, um, I know we want to talk about sale, Sales Engineering Academy. Before we get into that, let's do some origin stories. Um, we'll go I with- I flipped a coin ahead of time. You I, I'm sorry to tell you this. I flipped Please? a coin ahead of time. Yes, Manan, I would love to hear about you. Tell us kind of you know uh, what you were doing before Splunk and, and kind of what you're here today. Yeah, so before Splunk, I was sort of a user slash customer. Um, I used to work at Deloitte in this in their global SOC team. And I used to use um, a lot of SIM tools. So we were in this managed SOC and we used to use a lot of SIM tools. But um, I remember suddenly in 2016, Splunk was brought in with a new customer and I started learning more about it. We started getting trained. Um, I got, got the admin certification. I started liking it because you know I, I was using multiple um, SIM tools and here, Splunk. That was slightly different. So um, that that was the first time I was introduced to Splunk. And then cut to um, two, year, two years later, I moved to the States to do my master's in cybersecurity because I was so vested during my SOC times into cybersecurity. So I, I knew I wanted to do something um, in cyber. So I came here, um, started to do my master's. And I- What, what I was, did you do for undergraduate, like preceding Deloitte? I, I did my undergrad in computer science. Mm-hmm. Hardcore. Right. <laughs> but I knew I didn't want to be in programming. So mm-hmm. that's something that I learned for <laughs> throughout yeah. my four years. Yeah. <laughs> familiar, familiar. I had the same thing. Yeah. Right. So um, I was doing my uh, master's and I was searching for internships. And I, on LinkedIn, I came across this sales engineering role at Splunk. And I, I was like, oh, I know Splunk, but I don't know much about sales engineering. I, I want to know more about it. So I reached out to people at Dell. I reached, So I randomly started talking to people with the title sales engineer, and they started to tell me more about this role. And I was pretty excited because A, um, I will be using Splunk. B, I will be talking to customers, telling them um, you know, my story that I've used Splunk before. And it, it was a good mix of technical and talking to, or people skills, I would say. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's how I landed at Splunk. I, I applied all- for the internship, and uh, then convert converted to full time. Okay, so your title today is a sales engineer. Mm-hmm. Okay, Come well, on. welcome. Glad that Come worked on. out. Thank you. Come on. And, and if I, if I, if I can add, um, today is my one year Splunk anniversary. So thank oh! you for <laughs> that's a first. Awesome. That's the first time we've had someone do a recording on their <laughs> Splunk anniversary. Yep. Thank you. We'll have to keep that one going, Birch. I think that's a good idea. Um, uh, before we flip over uh, to Nikki, uh, Manan, I, I feel like we're 
we're um, burying an important detail here about oh, your Splunk internship. Yes, yes. I am. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's my ego, but um, I do hint, feel like, hint. yeah, like that's, that's kind of like a material bit of information. Hey, y'all, I don't know why I was, I was doing my, <laughs> I was doing my two minute intro, but um, yeah. so during my internship in 2019 summer, Birch was my mentor and my product manager. What? At Birch. Yeah. Shocker. <laughs> So when you join the um, sales engineering internship, your every intern is assigned a product, ma a project manager, and a, a mentor. And it just so happened that Birch played both the roles for me. Well, it's even if if I do, it, it's even more interesting because I was first your mentor, and it was the first time we were doing mentors as well as project owners. And I was asking you about your project, and you explained it to me, and I was like, I think we already have that done. Like, yeah. I think the thing you've been assigned as a project is actually already done. I was like, go, go look into this. And it yeah. turned out like, sure enough that it, it was completed between, you know, maybe it was between the time that they submitted for the intern and, and the time that you had started. Um, and fortunately I had way too many projects. So uh, we found, we found space there and you kicked butt with it. So that's great. So I want to talk more about the project, but I do want to hear from Nikki as well. So Nikki, no, 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 more about me. <laughs> <laughs> so from one former intern to another? Yes, yes. Um, so my origin story starts in the same place that Manan's does, actually. Um, so I was born in India, in Bombay. I stayed there till I was about six, seven years old. And then I moved to, you know, basically the same as Bombay, uh, South Philly. Uh, and uh, lived there, uh, Jersey and New York for a little bit, and then moved over to a place that's so similar to the East Coast, uh, you know, middle of nowhere, Texas. Uh, so it was a great transition, got, got to see so many different places. Um, I went to school in Texas, went to Texas A&M University, and like all good Texans, I majored in geophysics and geology because I thought the world started with oil and ended with gas. Um, and very quickly into my geology career, I realized I really don't have that much of a passion for rocks. Um, and secondly, more importantly, I think for me and my nature, the oil market was tanking left, right, and center. So, there are so um, many puns in this. The oil market was tanking. <laughs> I know, right? I've been, as you can see, I've gotten used to sharing the story a bit. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the market wasn't doing too hot. And my family made it very clear that I was going to be out on my own with health insurance the moment I got that degree. Their commitment was ending there financially. Uh, so I went around and talked to a variety of people and got into the School of Information Systems and Sciences and switched my major there. And I also got a dual degree in business at the same time. At that time, I was looking for internships, uh, mostly to help fund my, you know, uh, weekend activities with alcohol. Um, and at that time, I came across this company called Splunk. Uh, this was in 2016. And, you know, in College Station, Texas, most kids hadn't heard of it. And I sat there and I talked so to a couple people. So then you realized that Splunk would not only help you with funding your alcohol, but also supply <laughs> you all the alcohol without funding. <laughs> Exactly. Wasn't it great? I should it have works, realized. It works out sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at that time, I talked to an uh, SE leader, Jeff Blake, who's now my boss, who was there to recruit. And I came back for the interviews and I came and joined um, Splunk as an intern. 
And from there, rest is history. I realized I had found the perfect job for my skills. I felt like I found my group of misfits, the SE org, um, you know, this collection of just really damn cool people. Um, and I loved the job in the company and I was really excited to come back. And it's been a rocket ship ever since. Um, I started as an intern in 2016. I became an SE in 2017. And then I've uh, been in management from the last year and a half onwards and I've helped build some programs. So it's been pretty neat and come a long way since when I first told my family that I'm working for Splunk and they were really concerned that I wouldn't get any health insurance. And it was some, you know, garage company by three friends of mine. Um, so clearly they're pleasantly surprised with the way it's turned out for sure. And my grandma doesn't say flunk anymore. So that's also an upgrade. <laughs> so sales engineering is definitely a recurring theme on the podcast. I mean, the OG Splunkers, Splunk Talk hosts were Michael Wilde and Maverick Garner and Jeff Blake was, uh, was right there too. So um, you know, Michael was the first SE at the company. So, you know, that's definitely a spirit that we come back to a lot. Speaking of For sure. Maverick on, on the side, uh, we had him join our New York area, like holiday user group party. Um, and he was our like guest speaker. Uh, and it was really, it was really nice to hear some of those original stories. If you ever get the opportunity to connect with him, he's doing some cool stuff on, on LinkedIn and whatnot. Um, but some of his original stories of when the company was, was first, first forming from that magma uh, building on the rock thing. Um, it, it was, it was, uh, exciting. And then of course he was like, oh yeah. And then like Splunk talk and I heard it's still going and, and people were like, yeah, Birch is, is in the zoom too. It's like, you can't tell. Cause you know, it's not like a conference room. So uh, I have a question. Uh, yeah. Um, it's come out of, it's born out of ignorance, which is how, <laughs> how the best interviews go, I think. Um, which is, I know that we've had an internship program for a while, and but before that, and it's not it's not that old, but but before that, I don't know if if many companies had internships for sales engineering specifically, because you you know like college grad programs for internships are, are very common, but you usually think about CS, you know, I'm going to hire mm -hmm. you know programmer build a project, you know, I haven't heard if that's a common thing. Do do you, either of you know, or, or kind of like was there you know prior art and inspiration to our internship program now? Yeah, I think our program started in 2015 with about two people. And we were one of the first in the enterprise software or even software realm to do that for sales engineering. Um, so like you said, Hal, it's very uncommon. I think now in the last year or two, we're starting to see a lot of big companies capture and start building programs. But we were clearly one of the pioneers. And I think because of that, we've really amassed and been able to scale a lot quicker um, than many of the other, you know, programs out there. And I think companies are now realizing there's a huge talent pool that they've been missing out on. Um, that's yeah. early talent. And the easiest way to get them is through internships. Yeah. And I would like to understand, like, from a career development perspective, I mean, I have kids that are, you know, the age that they're starting to think about this myself. And, and I know that, that people get into different journeys of, of careers all the time. But you, you, you both have hit on an element of sales engineering that I would want you to expand on, which is it's sales and it's engineering. It's technical, mm -hmm. but you're working with people. Um, I think that a lot of people are probably pushed into one or the other, and they don't realize that there's some jobs that are, that can bridge the two. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the, the first problem is most universities um, don't tell you that this job exists out there. Mm -hmm. um, 
you're either told that, you know, you can become, if, especially if you're from a technical background, like computer science or IT, you can either go into software engineering or later on progress into product management. But so, nobody tells you about sales engineering. So I think it's, it's a beautiful cusp between technical and people's skills, if mm -hmm. uh, I will. And um, so, the, so I, I feel that Splunk does a great job. I found this um, internship through my university. They, they, they came to my university. I, I, found, I spoke to some recruiters and told me about the sales engineering role and that's how I landed myself there. And I always share with new recruits that we have college students, you know, it's an oxymoron. The title itself is an oxymoron, right? Sales mm -hmm. and engineering, like complete opposites. What we've found though, is that there's a large group of people who are going into tech um, and who are going into hardcore engineering, you know, subjects and, and degrees, but they have an interest in business and they have an interest in other arenas where they want to build those skills. And typically when I tell them about this role, what I see in their face is like utter joy of, oh my gosh, you mean that I won't have to sit behind a computer and program all day? Like there's a way I can use my degree and build a great career, you know, mm -hmm. using these other skills. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a huge bias in also our education system in general. A lot of professors in engineering and computer science come from pretty heavy technical and programming backgrounds or product management. And that's how most of these students learn about what's out there in their careers. Um, and so I've, I've known that in a couple universities now in the United States, I think University of Florida, a couple others, they've actually started sales engineering um, majors and minors oh, with wow, clubs. Wow, really neat. Yeah, so we have, I think, a couple candidates coming in this year from those minors. And that's been really eye-opening to see that integrated into a college curriculum now. Hmm. So I think a lot of what motivates um, what, and this is an unqualified opinion, not a fact. Um, I think a lot of what motivates what degrees a university has, has is drawn by, you know, matriculation, like will it attract top talent, but also endowment. Yes. So like I went to a university that had, um, it was like controversial that they eliminated the nursing program in the like sixties. And it was one of the like top nursing programs in the country. And the rumor is they got rid of it because the nursing graduates were not making enough money to provide a sustainable endowment. And so it, it's just, it's a very twisted thing, but you know, everything's a business. Um, so it's really interesting sales engineering, like as we see adoption of that in the universities, um, it, I think signals to both of those things. There's an interest for it. Um, it it's a successful career path for those that want to do it. Uh, I, I'll add, I, I think you guys are spot on. Like I always got the impression that the word sales was like a dirty word in college, like almost like the universe, the, the professors and stuff, like they don't want to talk, like they just want you to, to get into mm -hmm. the PhD programs and become. And, and the ironic part is that a significant portion of the job is actually teaching. Yeah, exactly. You know? Oh yeah. That's the. You'd think mm -hmm. that a pro professor would embrace that. And I'm sure many would, given the opportunity uh, you know, to kind of learn so that they could then come out of those biases that, that are kind of natural. Um, but yeah, I mean, teaching is a, a big part of the job. And I think know, being passionate about the, the technology that you're, you know, that we're in, right? We're in a specific software industry here, but sales engineering in general, is to learn something to a great degree, get passionate about it, and then share that passion with the customer and help them to achieve some sort of value, you know, as a result. 
And I think one of the most fun things when I was a sales engineer was thinking about it, not like a sales job, but more like a, like a solution and evangelism job. So mm-hmm. like I could geek out on the technology and then I go and talk with the customer on like, you know, he, they would talk about, here's what I'm trying to do or whatever. And it was like, oh, cool. Yeah, you, you can do that and you can do it successfully. And, and here's how, and you're evangelizing that um, and helping them, you know, get through all this pain. Yeah. So I, th- I think that everyone can tell how enthusiastic you and I are, Birch, about this topic. Um, you know, and and uh, Manana wanted to kind of hear about your project and that journey of starting out. You mentioned yeah, the, sure. Mm-hmm. Birch. And I but wanted to put- but, but don't use the word Birch. Like you, you got to <laughs> omit. He his had name. no role to play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to quickly add a point um, before I talk about my project. I think just include um, my name in it. <laughs> I think. <laughs> The SC program at Splunk also eliminates the, or removes the stereotype that we only need to have CS and IT background people in in the program. I mean, you do not have to have a computer science degree to become a sales engineer. You know, you can Mm -hmm. um, teach yourself the product, you can teach yourself um, the technology, and you can talk to people if you're passionate about it. Yeah, just to add on to Manan's point real quick, and and Birch, you mentioned endowment. So much of what students choose to study and what they go to school for is also a reflection of the region they live in and the exposure in that region. So for example, on the West Coast, everyone knows tech. On the East Coast, I'll find kids, you know, they're very passionate about CS and they'll know about the opportunities in tech. But when it comes to a lot of regions within the South and the Midwest, the exposure is way different. You know, likewise with myself, you think oil and gas is the only thing that's out there. And a lot of that has to do with the companies endowing the universities. Mm. And that's where your exposure gets built. So many of them don't even realize what kind of careers are possible within tech um, and don't understand what's in their reach. So that's why, you know, as Manon stated, we do a a lot of work and we're very intentional about getting students from different majors um, because we know we can teach you the product. But the other skills that are harder in terms of the soft skills, wanting to teach, wanting to help your customers, those are a lot tougher. I can't teach you that. Um, you know, I can well, teach and, you and how to there's, there's a big element of lowercase d diversity to this in the sense mm-hmm. that the people that we talk to are from all walks of life. Those companies that they represent yeah. do you know, a limitless variety of different things the best that we can do is to learn about that and share, you know, come, come from a shared perspective. If I'm going to go talk to a retail, you know, company about Splunk, it's going to be helpful if I know a little bit about a retail company and and the challenges they face. Mm -hmm. What a great, a great uh, perspective there. Cause I, I definitely am not familiar with uh, the, the areas that you were talking about and, and your background, it really ties back to what you were saying about like, yeah, when, when you grow up and coming into the university age in a, an area that's so heavily influenced by oil and, and fuel and energy, mm-hmm. of course, that becomes like the logical step forward. Um, okay, hard pit. Oh, wait. Hold on. I did want to get back to Manon's project, though. My, yes. my project. <laughs> and then I want, to hear, I want to hear about Sales Engineering Academy. <laughs> Quickly, we'll so there. talking about we'll my there. project. Um, so my, I was assigned a project with Birch to build a staffing calculator, a Splunk staffing calculator. So whenever you have new customers or existing customers who are trying to expand their Splunk infrastructure, they want to hear our recommendations that how many people, how many Splunk architects do I need? How many Splunk admins do I need? How many users do I need? How many power users do I need? So that staffing calculator would essentially take inputs from the customer 
based on to understand their infrastructure and their size and it would output their staffing estimates. Um, were there some takeaways that you learned along the way that, you know, or they're like, you know, buckets of customers with a certain, you know, outcome would be common? You know, what did you kind of learn during that project? I learned that the staffing calculator would be so, it, it, it is impossible to give that perfect recommendation because yeah. every customer is different. Even though I group customers based on their sizes, their use cases are so different and their needs are so different. So I just cannot give a perfect recommendation. Right. Did you have any conclusions from it that you could have, you know, whether they were surprising or not, but I mean, like if a customer, you know, had a terabyte license, did they tend to have, you know, two admin? Did you have any, anything like that, that, that came out of it? Mm -hmm. We could generalize uh, customers based on their ingest or their size. Mm -hmm. um, but that was, again, I said, a recommendation. And we, right. we, we, we didn't want to say that this is the final answer. We, we had to use the word recommendation in front of it. Yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting um, problem space because it's, um, it's like ever-changing. So what you recommend... And, and this is something like customers kind of, they want a simple answer and, and that's fine. Everyone wants a simple answer. It's, it's normal. Um, but it's an ever-changing answer because just because we tell you, you need this many of this type of skill set, uh, the use cases and like, like, okay, you hire all those people. By the time you hire them and ramp them up and stuff, the use cases on the platform may change. And now your staffing requirements may change as well. And that isn't to say Splunk is like, hard to staff for or anything. It's more that, like Manam was saying, you want to be very upfront with the customer that like, we're going to give you a recommendation, but like, these are the things that are going to change. In which point, mm -hmm. like when you're hiring these people, having someone who can kind of have a foot in different spaces is going to make you more sustainable. So Nikki, um, where, let's say you were also an intern, correct? So I did was, you, yeah. Did you and I similar the process? Or was it um, different? Yeah, because you was Who was your mentor or your project? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my um, mentor was Steve Hogan. Uh -huh. um, he's a principal architect here at Splunk. So he was my first exposure. Let me guess. And your so project had to do with Windows. No, thankfully he was, he was not my project owner. But I can tell you, I think the first week when I saw him, you know, work on stuff and he was like, hey, you want to help, you know, on this dashboard? And he just like went at it with SPL. I was like, oh, I'm not getting a return offer anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hogan's just on another end when it comes to his Splunk knowledge, just extremely brilliant and smart guy. Um, my project uh, mentor was actually Chris Ladd, um, who's an SE manager here at Splunk. And I interned in 2016, which was right before an election uh, year, that year. And I interned from June to August. And my project was to create an interface within Splunk where one could go in and put their address and then be able to see who's running for political offices at a local level. Oh, wow. um, Chris, yeah, Chris at that time was, uh, you know, sharing with me, he's been very civically engaged in his community that so much of what happens in our lives is determined more by our local offices than our federal offices. But oftentimes people aren't very educated on that when before they hit, you know, go to the ballot to vote. So he wanted to create an avenue where one could put their address, see that, and then be able to link to the websites of those who are running locally to see what they stand for and thus be a more educated voter. Um, it was a great project idea. We, we did release it. 
uh, via Splunk for Good. However, uh, a little known company called Facebook uh, released the same feature on people's profiles that same yeah. week. Whatever. So, you know, I, I can compete with Mark, so. <laughs> That's fair. So what happened between you um, interning and then joining the company and now you're running the intern program? And yeah, then tell us about the program. Yeah, a lot of things happen. And, and, you know, interestingly, you made a convert, you guys brought up the Splunk talk. I used to listen to that podcast in the year be be between okay. me interning. Yeah. Uh, right I'm sorry? The one that you're on right now? Just, no, you know, the one clarifying? with Michael Wilde and oh, the previous, oh, oh, the previous people. one. Yes. Yeah. Those I used the OJ host. <laughs> yeah, the, the I used to listen to that podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, the year in between. I heard it's like so knowledge. much better. The new host just can't keep up with the old ones. <laughs> but don't tell the new host. That's Not just between same. us. Not the same. There's just yeah. one episode that is so iconic in that one, and I still go back to it because I think it's so funny. It's with Nimish, oh. who I love dearly. Oh. And Nimish has a bird. And the bird won't stop chirping during the entire interview. And it is quite hilarious to hear conversations about Splunk and then hear like random chirps every two, three seconds. <laughs> nice, nice. I wonder, uh, maybe that's episode 13, The Secret of Namish. <laughs> yes. I don't yes. know, but that's, it's got him in it. So go look that one up. He, he was on my, uh, he, he was on my team when I first started at Splunk. Um, and Namish wow. has so many apps on Splunk base. He's just like a very strong independent um, uh, uh, worker. And he's got so many apps on Splunk base that we, a couple of us out of love, submitted an app to Splunk base called the, um, the Seinfeld app. And so it was in honor of Namish and it was an app about nothing. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it ever got published. I don't think they ever approved it. <laughs> Well, if you ever want to bring on Nimish as a guest, you got to bring him with that bird because the bird was the star of the show. <laughs> but yeah. uh, just coming back to the journey. Um, so I came back and I started working as an SD and it was a great, um, enjoyable experience. I love learning. The mountain is huge. As a college grad with literally zero knowledge, um, learning sales, learning the industry, learning the product, um, it felt like it just constantly was growing. And I was probably, you know, nose to the book every single day. And luckily I had a couple of peers who started the same time with me and we built a great relationship and kind of a crew um, to help each other um, in ensuring that the other SEs couldn't figure out that we didn't know anything we were talking about 90% of the time. But, you know, with time things got better and um, I had such a great time at my job, but I realized very soon that I was different in many ways than most of the essays I worked with. I'm a five foot petite Indian woman who is a college grad uh, who came into the sales engineering organization, who's raised in Texas with a degree that most people in sales engineering didn't have. Um, and I felt like I was really lucky to get into this position. I mean, as much as I'd love to say it's hard work, it wasn't. I fell into it. I was really lucky that I got the opportunity when I did. And it just made me feel like there must be so many more that we're missing out on that could make our org, our company, and who can have such a great fulfilling career through this job. And that's when I brought it up to my boss. I think I was like stuttering and stammering the entire time, but I basically shared with him that I think he could do his job a little better when it came to this internship program and hiring people from different backgrounds. Um, he was really open to it. His name is Jeff Blake. He was very, very open to it at that time, very receptive. 
And he really gave me the reins and saying, figure it out. Like, tell me what I can do and I will support you, but I'm, I, I don't know the answer and I will support you if you know the answer. And there started our journey of ensuring we are really targeting and getting people from all walks of life uh, to better represent the world that we live in and the world that our organization should represent. And that's where our sales engineering internship program really took off. Birch has been one of our best mentors, not one gotta, of them. I can see. Gotta, just, <laughs> I, gotta, uh, I, I can say this, just, you know, just, with no shame, I'll take the flack for it. He is the favorite mentor. He is the most coveted mentor. Um, he has mentored multiple interns every single year, year after year. And I think impacted the careers of so many SEs who work here today. And uh, that's really okay, what- I, I can't stand this. So <laughs> um, put me on the list to, to mentor, please. To bring I, him. Need to, I need to- Hal will bring you in, don't worry. So the year Seriously, that I, the year that um, Manan and I were working together uh, was the year I had uh, three interns at once over the, the two month period or whatever. That was hard. <laughs> and I remember but, yeah. that he had flown to DC to meet all of us um, and he spent like, three or five, three to four days with us talking about our projects and just mentoring us. That, so that was great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I do it all well, for the quality rating so that Nikki can come <laughs> on my podcast and speak highly of me. It's just been a really long con. Yeah. <laughs> How are so, we getting to get after this? <laughs> what were you saying, Nikki? No, I was going to say, Hal, after this conversation is going to be like, give me as many interns as Birch's has. So How, I can officially be- I've had we'll 10, down from I there. think. Jen, uh, uh, sorry, Jean, um, Benya, Manan, mm -hmm. um, uh oh, Delaney. I've Delaney. Um, I haven't talked to the third one that I had that year, and I'm blanking on her name because I'm on the spot. Uh, and then okay. last year, okay. I had one. So I don't know. I did the math in my head. I, I, think, it's, I think it's 10 in like four years or something. Yeah. So mm -hmm. tell me the, the mechanics, the details, the logistics of how the program works and, and how someone would enter, what do you look for, that kind of thing. Well, I, actually, Hal, um, okay. just to clarify, I, I know you guys talked about like the Sales Engineering Academy. Is that different than the internship program? It is, yeah. So the okay. academy okay. is what our interns feed into once they come back as Splunk SEs. Um, so we titled them as Academy Solutions Engineers, and they basically are put into a rigorous program in the span of a year and a half um, to two years, which tests, certifies, and challenges them on all the skills needed as an SE. So it amasses your technical, your sales, your product, um, and your soft skills. And you learn, you test, you get certified, you move on to the next one. Gio, okay. Giovanni. That was the third name I forgot. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, gotcha. So people can join as an intern, you know, is, is it, is that mandatory? Do you work through colleges with that, you know, slow, uh, exclusively, or can anyone join in, in that, you know, in the internship program? Anyone can join in the internship program, but we're very intent that when we're hiring you for the internship, we're hiring you for, to be an SE on our team. Mm -hmm. um, so we put our interns through uh, five to seven different interviews that they have to go through um, that are done by SEs in the field, CSEs, managers, and previous academy engineers themselves. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I remember when I was was being interviewed for my internship, I had to go through four rounds of interviews and um, Matt Gildenhorn was one of the panelists and he asked me to make an app on Splunk. And I thought that was really intimidating, but um, <laughs> that process um, was, I think, I think one of the best. I, I got some sample data into Splunk, made some dashboards, showed him an app, made a logo on my app and that really impressed him. So I think the logo got me the job. <laughs> yeah so that sounds like a lot of interviews that sounds like mm -hmm. let me put it this way that sounds like a lot of investment in you know any new employee or new or new intern type of program 100 percent. the investment's really the most important part students are going to feel more passionate about coming back especially since it's their first job if they feel like there's an environment of support that they have to come to for their first job and that's why our mentors and project managers like Birch are so critical to this program. I mean, he can probably share with you, there's hours they put in with the candidates uh, mm -hmm. during the internship. Managers two, put in hours. Two hours are put in. <laughs> two hours Just every two. week. Just <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm kidding. So you want interns and you want to teach them skills that they can use you know, here and elsewhere, but you do want them to come back. Yes. So mm -hmm. you're, so, you're probably, you've got multiple levers then, or layers there of kind of how you're thinking through that. Yeah, we use the internship as a three-month um, kind of uh, experience to see whether they had the foundational skills that we can grow on when they come back to the academy. We have a pretty high conversion rate um, of those that we bring on as academy engineers within the team. And then when they come on to being academy engineers, we actually start the testing and the program with them. Some of our interns with whom we have strategic relationships with customers will actually go back to their universities and work in the SOC for the universities that are Splunk customers. Oh, and then they get, cool. it's a great way for them to get side money. And it's like, you know, mm. to help them out with college expenses. And it's also a great way for them to get hands-on experience. And for our customers, it's great because they get somebody with Splunk trained knowledge um, mm. to come on and work for them. That sounds pretty, Yeah, you 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 good. walk back from your internship with a Splunk admin certification, which is pretty cool for your resume, even if you don't come back to Splunk. Exactly. So that cool. investment, I think, is awesome. So would you say that uh, you talked about conversion rates and, you know, do you look at um, d different ranges of, of, okay, I'm going to ask you a question like I asked her about the project. You know, did you have any takeaways? Do you see any trends, you know, in the, either the, you know, the types of people or the backgrounds of, you know, and then turning that into a conversion rate of, you know, going on to become an SE or joining Splunk? Yeah, I think one of the most data relevant trends that I had seen was um, I've done a lot of literature and reading and diversity. And there's a lot of literature that states that oftentimes people from underrepresented minorities will read a job rack um, and feel that they have to be 100% before they can apply for it. And about last year, um, I had an intern class, sorry, two years ago, and I was out for lunch with four people, three of whom were women and one was a man. And we were talking about applying for the internship. And you know, the women described to me that they opened up the Splunk internship rec and pondered on it for two days to a week before they had the guts to apply. And they even remembered nine months after applying the exact lines that they thought they weren't good enough for the uh, knowledge of networking, uh, knowledge of cybersecurity. And the guy who I was sitting with, um, and all four parties are now engineers here on our team, he shared, what are you guys talking about? I didn't even read it. 
I just saw Splunk and thought it was such a cool company. He was like, I thought it was a cool company and a cool role. Like I just glanced over it. Yeah, we all remember yeah. these exact sentences. Oh my God. I think I'm a, are... I'm a minority, <laughs> at, an underrepresented group at heart because I definitely have vivid memories of reading job descriptions and being like, oh, I don't have that one bullet. I shouldn't apply. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, you know, I think it, it, there's a lot of personality things that also play into it, but I think, I think there's, something... a, yeah, there's a lot of personality things. Yeah. But, I, but there's just... probably a takeaway there of, of like just general life advice. Hey, kids kind of thing. Like you need to try because you don't know if you're going to, you know, you might be the perfect fit and we, nobody will know unless you try. This is 100%. something I, I, I think I, I really love um, trying to like walk people through when they're early in their career is like, when they're timid about applying for something and they're like, oh, I saw this position. What do you think? I don't have, you know, X, Y, and Z bullets. And it's like, what do you have to lose? Just apply. Like, Mm -hmm. and inevitably it's okay. It's a little bit of time and effort, but what they're really afraid of is rejection. Yeah. And coming, coming to sometimes just coming to terms with that and accepting that like, but there is no consequence to rejection when you can acknowledge it ahead of time and objectify it and be like, Yes, there is a chance that they're going to say no, and that's fine. But I'm going to apply I, anyway because I'll. I want them to decide. I don't want to self-eliminate. And and I learned here's. I have a new data point. This is something that did not work. Let me go try something else and something else and something else. Exactly, and and that it really sparked a great conversation with our recruiting team to really get rid of all that stuff that we had in our job rack. Because in reality, I don't need all those sentences in there. And we put, you know, a passion for learning and appetite to want to learn different things. And what we ended up seeing is we went from having 300 applicants to the next year having over 1,500. Wow. Um, and, and now, you know, after talking to our recruiter, he's even thinking of doing that for our full-time SE jobs in the field, et cetera, to see if that can help us get, you know, a variety of different candidates. Wow. That's pretty good. And like I said, I went through four rounds of the interview for the internship. None of the um, none of the rounds asked me to code, or none of the rounds asked me my technical skills. You know, they they're looking for a personality, and they're looking for if the person has grit. So even if I don't know Splunk, can I go install it and can I get data into it? Am I curious about the technology? So that's what they're Mm -hmm. looking for, and doesn't you don't have to be extremely technical. yeah, even the you project you talked about. Salespeople, after all. <laughs> you do get to work with salespeople, after all. Um, <laughs> even the, uh, like the project you were talking about, I, I think there's often a misconception about like what it means to make an app, right? You, you said you were yeah. asked to make an app. And um, for, for Splunk, like, making an app can be very bare bones. It could be just essentially a folder structure. Right. Uh, not, it's not like code or anything. Um, but because of the proliferation of, of phones, um, you know, Splunk was, was started in, in 2006 ish before we had smartphones and so forth. And so you could easily see how people hear apps and they think like, oh, coding, uh, within, you know, within a phone in that context. Um, But you have to be curious enough and to have enough grit to say, okay, what does that mean? I'm going to have to do some research, you know, and, and figure that out and, oh, okay. It's not all that. And. Yeah, then it's just off to creating something, not not something huge. It's creating something and wrapping it together in the context of what we do and maybe building a story around it. That's probably going to come next when you're thinking about um, you know, what sales engineering is about. It's teaching through sharing of stories and relating to people's challenges. 
Yeah. And speaking of that grit factor, I think many of the candidates that end up succeeding and coming on are the ones that take fundamentals one, are the ones that will download the product and tell us or ask us questions. Hey, I got stuck here when I was playing with it. That just sets, you know, sets them apart um, because that curious nature is what we need to thrive in our jobs, as we all know. I want to emphasize what you just said, because so often um, the greatest candidates uh, are the people that take the initiative and geek out with it, but also then become too timid and embarrassed about asking, like, I got stuck at this part. And they're like, oh, Mm -hmm. if I tell them that I got stuck there, it might reflect poorly on me because in their mind, the normal and expected thing is to like download the product and play with it. And so um, like, I guess a general kind of broadcast encouragement is like, make sure that um, you don't let your yourself hold yourself back, right? Like if you play with these things and you have these questions, it demonstrates so much about your capacity to take initiative and to be a self-starter and a learner. And that's success in any job, not just sales engineering. 100%. And especially in a job like ours, you got to get used to messing up. <laughs> I still mess up multiple times a day. I mean, I mean, I'd love to see an SD who doesn't mess up. Um, you know, we mess up all the time. And that's fine. The, the, the positive is that you just know the right people to help you fix it. You try to fix it as soon as possible and you learn from it. That's all. We used to say, um, I, I have a background in improvisational comedy. And we used to say, if you're, with profanity, I'll say the non-profanity version. Um, if you're going to screw up, screw up big. And it, it's like through the mistakes, we, we learn paths uh, and adventures that we would have, have found otherwise. Um, so anyway. Is, is when you're in, um, you're in a sales meeting with the customer of CTO and there's a $5 million deal on the line, what would you apply that particular aphorism? How, how would you, you know, you're a sales engineer, you're, you're a junior sales engineer, you're going to screw up big. What would you do, Birch? Make sure that when you're presenting, you make a very vocal and loud fart. Okay. Yeah. Probably nothing, nothing humbles religion too. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing humbles yeah. the room like uh, irritating someone's olfactory. <laughs> um, so speaking of olfactory, let's go back to the academy. Um, okay. So uh, once again, it, it, it I guess tell, tell us more uh, about the Academy. I was uh, also looking up um, some of my former interns while you were explaining it. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's almost like a, a criteria to ensure like almost like an academic path, like a structured path. Um, so you can come out of it with like a consistent educational background, right? Exactly. You know, as I shared, when I came on, when my team members came on, there was no process and they onboarded us the same way they would have, you know, yourself, Birch or Hal. But clearly I came from a way different experience point than both of y'all did. So we can, y'all can get onboarded in 90 days and be in front of a customer, uh, 90 days and in front of a customer. I don't even know what a 401k is, right? So totally two different, you know, um, starting Yeah, it just means 401,000 401k. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, so what we essentially created was a, a boot camp um, or a syllabus where one can rigorless, rigorously go through everything that is required um, to know and to have as a successful SE, and then secondly, get tested on it. So we can ensure that there is a scalability across our org. So if you're an SE starting out in Michigan, in Germany, or in Japan, you have a common set 
of skills and we've trained you in this flunk way. Um, and we have, we use that clean slate well. And we provide and this is not, you- This is not for, for interns. Like this is for all, all SEs, including interns, but it's for all SEs, right? Yes. So this program okay. is specifically for early talent SEs. So our college grad, our new grads, if you have less than three years of work experience, this is the program you're going to be in. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and what, where did, did you mention when we were talking before the recording um, that there are other companies that do similar kind of things? Like were there inspirations for this? Yeah. The inspiration for this was actually from Marissa Mayer and her starting the associate product manager program at Google, which ended up becoming one of the most famous um, programs within Google that created a variety of famous tech uh, So tech before her time at know. Yahoo. Yes, exactly. Before her time at Yahoo. Um, so then we essentially util- utilize the exact same process here for SEs. And now Google, VMware, uh, IBM all have technical sales and SC solutions engineering academies that they also utilize. So it's become the industry standard and norm at this point to have that kind of early talent incubator. How many people have gone through it? Uh, Right now, we have over 20 people that have gone through it, and we're hoping to have about 50 by the end of this year. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And this year, what's been really interesting is Manan, who's part of the academy, is actually running it with the next class. And so that's been a great opportunity for us to take emerging leaders and have them run and be a mentor uh, for the program. And Manan, I think you have some great insights that you've seen from helping the entire class. Yeah, so I I started the academy, I joined the academy in 2020, um, the famous year. And I I was a part of it and I told Nikki, Nikki, I wanna accelerate this, but I wanna also help you run this. So um, I finished my academy in six months and I started leading um, or helping the group that came next. Um, and the and the academy is heavy on technical as well as soft skills. I thought when I joined, I was able to rush through the technical modules, but from the soft skill modules, I took my own time and that really helped me. Um, I got, uh, you know, the, the academy has role play sessions, mock, play, mock discoveries, mock demos that would help you talk to the customer. I got some feedback like, Manan, sometimes you speak really fast and that's something nobody ever told me. So I need to probably slow down, ask more questions to the customer, listen more. So that's something that I got through the academy and now I'm running it with uh, a group of eight people. Eight people? Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and Somebody how many who's been years- at Splunk for one year. Yeah. How many, uh, how many years did you say this has been going on? So it's only been going on for about a year and a half now. Um, and so we've seen just some exploding growth, uh, since the time that it started and the investment in the program has just been growing. Um, as our company scales, it's more and more important to ensure that we do have, you know, an early talent, uh, group of individuals that can grow with the org as we grow too. Um, and there's a huge opportunity with, with this population. Okay. So let me try to kind of connect the dots, uh, almost like a call to action. If, if, for people that are listening, that are excited about this. So, uh, and who isn't, um, so, (laughs) okay. If I, if I am interested in the internship program, I would go to like the, like do a search for like Splunk interns, um, online Splunk careers. Okay, cool. And find about the internship program. Then separate from that, if if I 
may, do can interns do this program or do they have enough time? The academy, yeah, they can yeah. come on to the academy after they graduate, after they're done with the uh, internship program. Okay, so after they're done with the internship program, should they be successful enough to become a full-time employee um, or any uh, Splunk SEs that are out there right now listening in are welcome to uh, enroll in the academy as well. So the academy, you wouldn't necessarily find externally listed because that's, that's an internal program. Training um, program for new okay, hire. So the academy comes second. Yes. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. okay, okay, cool. So that is, so the academy is the path for new sales engineers. Yep. And I, I would highly recommend our recruiting season is from uh, July to December. So if you're interested, please get those applications in between that time. Uh, we typically have our entire class set by the end of December, early Jan. Um, and if anyone's interested in the internship or the academy, please feel free to also message me on LinkedIn, Nikki Nair. Um, I'm happy to get you connected with the right people. And um, I also want to highlight um, that we also do have, you know, our academy is open to not only those with four-year degrees, but also those with associate degrees um, who are part of, also part of technical programs, or even if you're not enrolled in a college um, accredited course at this time, and you have relevant work experience and you're interested in pivoting, we are open to anybody. Um, and we want to love to hear keep, that. Yeah, we want to keep our program open to anyone who wants to become a sales engineer. Um, and who don't self-eliminate let us eliminate <laughs> <laughs> and who has the grit like Hal and Birch said earlier if you have the grit and the hunger and curiosity to learn we have a program and we have a place for you here so I mean there's a lot of um, a lot of customers that that listen to our podcast and I could see some of them being like hey you know what this inspires me to create almost like a a splunk like user academy within my company like so it creates a um, a more woven path of education and success than just, okay, go take fundamentals one, go take power user, go take these mm -hmm. classes. Um, what, it, like, what if these customers say, you know what, I'm going to create a program where I want you to take this class, this class, and you're going to have a, a, like a task. If you want to become kind of a power user, you have to create an app or you have to do some, some kind of um, practical uh, thing to stitch it all together uh, beyond the, the exams that, that Splunk offers officially. For people looking to create a, a parallel program like the Academy, do you have any advice? Uh, especially the support part, I think becomes the hardest. It's one thing to create the design of it, but another thing to like, how do you get that top-down support so that you know management can adhere to like, yes, people are only going to be granted these capabilities or, or features of the product if they can earn it through the academy or, or what have you. Yeah, I mean, I think any, any, any avenue where you can hone in the scalability and the fact that by putting that larger investment in the beginning, the organization can benefit and the individual as, as they grow and as they go on. Um, and by ensuring that you have a playing field where everyone has the same set of skills that you want them trained up on just sets you up for the best future. And in terms of having kind of like a, um, I guess, an accelerated academy for our customers, we're happy. That's a great avenue. If any customers are interested in that, please do message me or Manan on LinkedIn. That's something we'd love to strategize on. And I, another call out for our customers is we have a variety of customers that we do lend interns to, you know, for projects that are customer relevant projects. We've done that with Baylor University, with McLaren in Europe. 
Um, so if you're interested in having an intern on board or even a cross intern collaboration, please do message us. That's something we'd be very interested in engaging in. And you can get the spelling of their names from our, our show notes where we'll have both guests uh, names written out there. Um, I, I guess look at splunk.com slash careers as a general entry into all of our openings. Yes. Um, looking, looking forward, like what is your next step with the Academy? Like, um, you know, you've got something established, you clearly have growth. Like, what do you see as the next, the next hurdle or the next big stone you want to crush? Um, if I can answer that, we recently. No, you can't. A... <laughs> <laughs> Please. Um, no, um, so we recently presented to our chief products officer, Sendor, and he was really excited to know that this exists within Splunk and he wants to scale this within the engineering and the product. So he want to, wants to have this program run within the entire organization. So have like a one program where, uh, you know, you hire smart candidates out of university into different departments. Different roles. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And they go through a similar training program um, within Splunk. So we, they not necessarily have industry experience, but they're keen to learn and they want to join um, Splunk. So I think that's, that's our next and that step. Would, that would make a lot of sense in terms of if we want to attract a variety of, of people that are interested in more than one thing, exactly. they can start this path and go down a different path. Yeah, and, and there, the there's so much more um, scope for job rotation and cr cross collaboration mm -hmm. there. Yeah, awesome. and just add to that, it adds a shared empathy when they do decide to go full-time in whatever role within the company. You know, you'll understand the jobs of your peers. And for the candidate, it's a great way to get a supersonic experience of seeing so many different jobs and really knowing what you're a fit for. Um, mm. Those kind of opportunities are, are pretty rare very early in your career. That empathy so for, for your peers and the your stakeholders is, uh, is really valuable. Mm-hmm. So our, our growth plan is to do that across the company and then hopefully go larger globally with it too. Some would say and you the, could go big sorry. or go home. <laughs> go ahead, Manan. I was going to say the program is a great way to keep the, the culture alive. So when you train new people in the culture, you, you're taking it a long way. Mm. We want to brainwash them the right way. Exactly. And consistently. Mm -hmm. Yep. Birch is the best mentor. We're going to start with that brainwash first. <laughs> Just kidding, Birch. <laughs> All right. uh, nope, it was stated guys... as fact on a recording. It is now has to happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that both of you came and shared the story. Um, I think career development in, in kind of all of its facets is super important. Um, and I'm, I think all of us have a bit of a selfish interest here. We want to have people that align to our company values and that appreciate those and then, you know, live those through what we do here, which I think it's a cool place. So definitely glad that y'all highlighted a very fascinating um, career path. So thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for inviting us, y'all. Sure thing. Merch. I'm good, man. This was a great session. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, and uh, take a look in the show notes. We'll include names and links and more rambles there. But otherwise, happy splunking. Bye. Bye. Bye.